Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, everybody. Um, my title might look a little strange, The Earth is a Thin Place, and it comes from It comes from a, an ex, uh, a saying that's used in, uh, or that comes from the Celtic tradition, which is uh, heaven and earth are only three feet apart. But in thin places, that distance is even shorter. And all of us at different times in our lives, we've had experiences, well, probably all of us, even people that don't believe in these kinds of experiences, I believe, that had them, have had experiences where that distance is crossed. Some of us miss it when it happens because we're not looking for it. <clears throat> Originally, when God created us, we were, uh, we, we, we were able to see into both with our physical eyes and spiritual eyes. You didn't have to imagine. If you think about the story in creation of creation in Genesis, you didn't have to imagine that God was walking with you. Adam and Eve, it said that they walked every day with God in the garden. There was no distance separating. There was no Sometimes, uh, you know, we, we describe it as a veil. There was no veil in between. Their experience was a very real one. <clears throat> our lives and our faith are inseparable. Sometimes we kind of forget that. God has revealed himself through everything. It's not just through some strange experiences that happen here or there. <clears throat> God has revealed himself in the physical. And the Psalms are so precious in this and they remind us, uh, for example, Psalm 19 there, the heavens declare the glory of God. When we look, whether it's night or day, you see different things, but when we look into the sky, we're seeing what God has made, yes, but we're also seeing something that this, this verse says is declaring glory to God. The word glory is sometimes uh, a bit fuzzy for us. I don't know about you, but you know, you, you use that word and say glory. People take glory out of things they do, and you know, they gain glory by achieving great things. God doesn't have to go out looking for glory. Everything about him is glory. One of my uh, admired mentors from the past Ken Hall said it this way. Glory is simply the manifestation of who God is. And a manifestation is kind of like just the way that person, being, is present. 
God doesn't have to do anything to demonstrate glory. He just has to be there. If God were to actually reveal his glory to us here in this room, I mean, like he is already, but if he actually visibly made that, like if he made it visible to us, none of us would be able to mistake what we were looking at. We'd be on our faces immediately. But he has left it there. It's like a signature for us when we look into the heavens. God's signature is there. The manifestation of who he is is there, staring at us every day. But a lot of us are missing it. This is a picture of of a galaxy, as you can see here. It's part of the Milky Way galaxy, and the Milky Way galaxy is this incredible thing, and it's a very typical galaxy, apparently. There are 200 billion stars in one galaxy. 200 billion. And how many galaxies are there? They have absolutely no idea. The number of galaxies that are out there is almost infinite. And how does that manifest God? Because God is infinite. If the creator has made something like that, there's no limit, we say. God is an infinite being, and there's almost no limit to what we're seeing when we look at his creation in that aspect of his creation. It's like seeing God's shadow. Or his back. Remember the story in in the Old Testament when Moses asked to see the glory of God, asked to see God's face, and and God told him, no one can see my face and live, but I'll show you my back. If we have eyes to see, anytime you want to, you can look and see, in a sense, the shadow of God. Imagine when we're going to see him face to face. Whoops. Why is this doing this to me? I'm going to have to tell it to go away. Next century, how about that? Get out. All right, let me me continue here. And of course, we can come a little closer to home and we can look at our own little planet here which sometimes, uh, you know, seems like a huge place to us. But when we consider it in the whole aspect of it, of, of creation, Earth is a very small place. It's infinitesimally small. It's a speck of dust in the whole perspective of the universe. And it kind of helps us get a perspective of where we fit into that whole thing. But here's, here's the, the strange part of it that is tremendous, as as vast, and as incredible as the whole creation is. He made you and me and everybody else that's sitting in this room and alive today and has ever lived and ever will live. He made us in his image. That's the essential thing about who we are. Made in the image of God. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting that, getting my head around it. 
And sometimes when I'm looking in the mirror and say, wow, okay, uh, it can't be because of what I'm looking at there that I'm supposed to be made in the image of God, right? There's something else going on there, and that's part of the mystery. C.S. Lewis once preached a sermon. Yes, yeah, C.S. Lewis did a lot of things. He did preach sermons called The Weight of Glory. Anybody ever heard of it, The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis? Okay, if you've, if you've ever heard of it, that's one thing. But really, really, every single one of us at some point in our lives should read that sermon. I don't know if it was recorded. Um, this is like 1943 or 44. So it may well not have been recorded. In those days, they usually didn't record sermons in Sunday mornings. And, you know, you couldn't put them on the podcast or something. So, but it is available online. It is an absolutely magnificent statement of who we really are. When we're talking about this glory thing, the weight of glory. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you want it to be, you know, if, if I'm boring you, look it up right now and go and read it. You know, like, <laughs> it's probably worth more than this anyway, okay? The weight of glory about who we are in the real perspective of things. And, and part of what he's talking about in that message is stepping across this little distance. If we could truly see who we are as God's children. Basically, he says we'd be on our faces in front of each other because it, we, we would just be unable to stand what we were looking at. On the other hand, that if you choose to walk away from being God's child, then you don't want to see that. So there's two sides to the thing. You know, there's the saying, saying I was using right at the beginning there, this little saying. And that's, when, when the Celts were saying this, of course, it comes from very, the, the, the Celtic tradition is a very spiritually conscious tradition. They were talking about particular places on earth where you could actually somehow or other connect a little more easily with this sense of who we are and what we are. And there was like a place where you could actually go and sense this presence in some special way. Personally, I don't think there's any place where you can't experience this. That doesn't mean you walk around every day experiencing it, you know, everywhere you go. But I, what, I'm, what I think is that, and I, I'm sure that you've had this, God can meet you anywhere. You can have an experience of stepping across this little space, sitting on a bus, driving your car, or looking out your window. I love, I love Aaron's photograph posts that he come... He, several times a week usually. They're just these little reminders of you. There, there's a special place, and it doesn't have to be somewhere across the ocean in Iona or something. It can be in your backyard. We talk about, you know, having eyes to see and ears to hear. But there needs to be, you know, sort of an awareness that we do have the eyes to see and we do have the ears to hear, and God has given us the ability to connect with him 
might take a little work sometimes, but he's given us that ability because we're built with it. We're made for it. To see through this, to see across it. Well, this leads to the question. I'm going to try to make this uh, a little faster here. We're going to run out of time pretty quick. A lot of us uh, are completely, and I would say the majority of us, walk through life kind of like oblivious. We just kind of go through it. Put your head down and get through. So most of us are not, we'll, we'll go around without seeing what we're really looking at. Without hearing, as they used to say in the old days, the music of the spheres. Like even the stars sing. I love Tolkien's sort of uh, way of uh, expressing that in the Silmarillion. But um, the scientists will tell you that the stars sing. They don't say sing. But they talk about the echo of the Big Bang. Now, I don't know where you stand on that. It doesn't matter. Okay? But there is stuff out there. That's an echo, you can call it of the Big Bang, or you can call it uh, the echo of God's voice when he spoke everything into existence. It's there. And it's a manifestation of incredible power. I don't care whether you think that was an explosion that came out of nothing from no one, or from a creator saying, let there be. That echo is out there, and the scientists know it's there. Of course, they say it's just a random something that came from nothing, which, of course, is completely illogical. Even from a scientific standpoint, you cannot argue it as to how can something come from nothing except for a faith statement that it did. At any rate, it's there. Life itself is a miracle. Oh, you can describe it as to what it's, you know, what are the substance, what's the substance of it? Chemical substance, physical forces, all all the things that we talk about, you know, what makes things up, what makes you up, what makes me up, what makes the universe up, what holds everything in its place and everything. You know, we, we can say, what it is, in that sense, you know, we have this timetable of the elements and all that kind of stuff. You know, they're the four, the four essential forces if you're into physics and stuff like that. Uh, but you can look at it from two sides, right? You can say it's just random. Incredibly, it's there. You know, but it's just random. It's just an extrusion, you know, of matter somehow doing this, right? Or you can say it's something totally different. Every single one of us lives by faith. I don't care whether you, you're a scientist or what, you know, you're an atheist or whatever. You happen to classify yourself as that way. And you is the very general here. I'm not talking about anybody here. Um, you know. We all live by faith. The Bible says that the just live by faith. But we make a mistake, and I think we've swallowed a lie, 
when we've, you know, when, when the materialist atheistic people will say, well, you know what, you just live by blind faith. Like faith in the supernatural, faith in God, it's all blind, you've got no evidence for it, etc., etc. You know. They completely misunderstand what the biblical idea of faith is, what a, a Christian idea of faith is, or a Jewish idea of faith is. And but we we sometimes sort of get, get under that and accept it as what faith is. But the biblical idea of faith is nothing but blind. There's no such idea as blind faith in the Bible. Or in your experience. If you are a person of belief in Jesus, you didn't believe that because it was blind acceptance of some kind of principles or philosophy. That's not why you believed. Anybody believe for that reason? We're talking about Real faith versus intellectual faith, right? Believing in something is an intellectual exercise. It's kind of like you can have it up here, but you know what? It doesn't have to mean anything out there. That's not biblical faith, and it's not Christian faith, and it's not anybody's real faith. That is a counterfeit that people have foisted on people who have their faith in Jesus to tell them they're irrelevant and stupid. And you are not. Your faith in Jesus is based on experience. James puts it, James in the Bible, faith, if it has no works, is dead. The difference between uh, real faith and blind faith is that real faith is based on trust. The biblical understanding of faith is trust. If faith is not a good word for you in terms of understanding what it is, substitute trust. Because anything that is a true faith or a true belief is going to have a practical expression in trust. Do you believe in your significant other's love for you? You know, you can go through some periods of doubt or something, but the reason that you believe that person loves you is because of experience. And the reason your kids, if you, you know, if you're a parent, the reason your kids believe in your love for them is because of their experience of it. And ultimately, every single one of us who believes that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior is because of your experience of him. You put a trust. You, you place trust. Trust is expressed through action. Jesus never asked us to have blind faith. He said, if you will not believe me for the things I say, then believe me for the things that I do. So, the counterfeit is a materialist faith. 
Materialist faith is trusting and living as if matter is all there is and ever can be. A materialist trusts that that's the truth. And the only thing there is is what's here now. And once you're, once you're gone, it's gone. So in that idea, then, science is the only method of understanding and interpreting what is. One of the other people that I have read just about everything he wrote is a guy named Francis Schaeffer. And um, anybody, any read, anybody else read him? Oh, good. All right. That's great. Um, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The God Who Is There. And he was trying to differentiate in this between the things that people say about God and the real God. And his point was that the real God is a God who is actually there or here. And he's a God that we actually experience. And like we were saying before, his fingerprints and his signature are everywhere. Everywhere you look. Even in your body. Your body is magnificent. Even though it can be sick. Even though you might think your body is not magnificent because it doesn't look exactly the way you would like it to. It is still magnificent. It's an incredible thing. Read Psalm 139 again. Go back and think about that. His presence is everywhere, out there, in here, inside of you. And in fact, it's holding everything together right now. He, we say, you know, in theology, that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. And even the Muslims have something about that. They say that God is as close as your juggler vein. Okay, that's a, you know, an expressive way of putting it. Anybody's. <laughs> um, and Paul, when he was talking to the Athenians, those, you know, the great intellectuals of his day all came from Athens or Alexandria. But anyway, he was in Athens and he was talking to them. And he said, he's not far from each one of us. And in him, we live and move and have our being. So the real question, as we go through our life, and this is an everyday question, because it has an application every day, is what will you trust, or rather whom are you going to trust? Remember that Bob Zillin song way back then, Slow Train Coming, and he said, you're going to serve somebody, right? Real faith, real trust is not an intellectual exercise. I mean, I can, I can believe all kinds. The devil can believe, right? Remember that? The devil believes in God and fears. But we have that choice every day to trust or not. Not just a word. Is it ever too late? I'm done that, so we can close that. This past week, I, I was at somebody's deathbed. My brother-in-law was on his deathbed. 
and um, I was fortunate to be there just before he passed. And my brother-in-law was not a believer. Uh, I mean, I'm saying up until that point, okay? Um, and he was the type of person who had absolutely no use for religion. And you would try to talk to him about God or anything. He says, just don't talk to me about God. Don't want to hear anything. So um, I went to the hospital and was there with my sister. And he was no longer conscious enough to be able to speak or anything. And I was praying and thinking, you know, before I got there, God, like, what can I do? And this is a moment where you say, you know, God, it doesn't matter where he, like, what's happening in that bed right now, or what, what I'm aware of. What matters is what's true with you. And I believe, because you're a true God, that you, you are going to be there, that you're coming with me. If you're not already there, well, of course, he's everywhere. So, it's one of those points where you say, well, this is where, Lord, can you just step across the little distance here? Can you actually be here? Like, show that you're here? So, I asked permission from my sister, who is a believer, if I could read some scripture and, and pray. And she was okay with that. So I read two psalms, and as soon as I started to read those psalms, I felt the presence of God. God's word is truly powerful. When we talk about this trust, and I'm not saying this like to say, wow, you know, I was doing something great. This is God's stuff. This is what he does. And, and, you know, this is stuff that he'll do for and with and through anybody. There's nothing to do with who I am. This is the fact that I was there and I was saying to God, God, I trust that you are going to do what you say. So when I read those, I felt God's presence right there immediately. And I read those two psalms, and then I put my hand, he was, he was quite agitated, he was kind of, you know, like, struggling. And I put my hand on his head, and he calmed down. He stopped. And I just began to pray. And there was such a beautiful peace in that, and such a beautiful presence now, I could, you know, as far as I know, I, I, I don't really know what happened to him except for he had never in my life ever accepted, and he was fighting the nurses about taking medication, everything, even though he was not totally conscious. He would not allow anybody to do anything to touch him or anything. But when I put my hand on him, like I said, it just stopped. And he let 
me pray for him. There was no reaction. There was no swipe off your hand and anything like that. Now, what can I say about that? I don't know, you know, what happened inside of him. Again, there has to be trust here. But what I can know is what happened. When I was there, God stepped across that little distance. And one of the things I prayed, because they were saying that he could go on for days, is that God would release him from his suffering. He died shortly after I left, a few hours later, uh, be, well before anybody was expecting it. And what I told my sister afterwards when she told me that he had died, I said, you remember what, what we prayed? I said, we, we prayed that God would release him from his suffering. And he said he, he answered the prayer. Of course, she was, you know, very... She was very much in grief, of course, but but that gave her a sense of hope. Gave me a sense of hope. And say, well, if God answered the first part of the prayer, which had a physical manifestation to it, could he not equally well have answered the second part? Was that he would have met God, even though he was not to us consciously able to respond. Could he not have met God in this that moment and turn to him, despite having his whole life turned away. I guess I'll know when I get there, but um, what I'm saying is that what I saw was God cross the, th the little space in a very tangible way. And he can do that anywhere, at any time. And I'm sure that you cannot, when you've had those moments, okay, here, and, and we could all talk about such moments, and it would be wonderful to share that. So these are really good things. To, because, And you can share them back to yourself. What you do when you're doing that is that they, you set up a sort of a marker. We can say, at that moment, in that place, with this person, whether it's with you or somebody else, I know God was there. I know I have this evidence. And that's why I'm telling you, your trust in Jesus is not blind. You have those markers. Some, you know, your markers that are different from my markers. But you've got them. And when you're going through one of those really tough spots, when you're saying, where are you, God? Yeah. Then you look back and you say, when I was in this place at that time, you were there. And so you turn in trust and you say, so Lord, here I am now in this place and in trust, in that kind of faith, I'm saying, you're here with me. And you don't have to be with somebody else because you'll show up anyway. So, I'm going to conclude. If you're going through one of those tough times, and we're all going to go through them, if we're not having one now, praise God. Praise God for it. Enjoy it. 
revel in his presence with you. But if you're in one of those tough places, reach out in that trust faith and hang on to him. So I'm going to pray. And can we just say you're dismissed after I pray? Yeah? Aaron, that's good? Yeah? Okay. Father God, Lord Jesus, we declare in our faith, in our trust in you, that you are an always present God. You said I will never leave you or forsake you. We're not on our own, Lord. Whatever it is we're in, we're not on our own. And Lord, please take the veil away from our eyes. Please take the blockers out of our ears so that we can see you and hear you in the middle, in the midst. Whether we're under a wave of darkness or in a light place where we're rejoicing and enjoying the good things that you give us. Oh, Lord, meet us. Meet us in a way where we know for sure here you are with us. You are the true God. You are in us. And Lord, may we shine so that others will see that and they'll know that you're there. They'll know that you're real and all of the other things that are said that you're not real, there's no answer to it when you're actually present, Lord. We know that you're present, but when you are manifesting your presence in your glory. May we shine with a light that can't be denied. And we pray this in trust in the name of Jesus who said he answers when we come to you, Lord God, in his name.